Lord. Thank you so much for your giving. And uh, we're going to be having the outline distributed by a princess today. Yesterday afternoon, I had the privilege of having lunch with, uh, with the girls. And the place where we were having that lunch, they had on the, the big uh, video screens uh, some of the Olympics. And uh, they had on that one segment uh, the program where Israel actually won their first gold medal. And it was uh, this, this young girl who was doing this type of rhythmic dance with uh, the banner, these streamer things that uh, I was mesmerized by the things that she was able to do with that. And, you know, she would, she's just a little thing, and she, she would kind of do a kind of a flip, and her foot would throw from behind this thing way up in the air, and then she'd catch it. It was this long banner. And uh, she was actually up against these twin girls who individually performed from Russia. And the Russians really weren't that happy that somebody from Israel had beaten them. And so they protested, and their protest was denied. But I just thought that was very interesting. That um, there were, And, of course, it fascinated the girls to be able to see that. Of course, I think they were more fascinated by the equestrian stuff that was coming up next. But, and that was quite a show. But, you know, I was watching that, and I thought, how is this an Olympic sport? But then I thought, I can't imagine how many hours that little girl practiced to do what she was doing. I mean, because it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, I thought, how in the world are they doing? Is she doing that? How can uh, precision and, I, I mean, I, I, I was just stunned. And so the idea of preparation was kind of mulling over in my head, for, not just for that performance, but for all of the things that are, um, that are being demonstrated over there in Tokyo. Uh, and, but really the hours that went into just a few minutes of, um, and sometimes a, a minute of people demonstrating what they practiced and committed their lives to and what they practiced for years to become uh, excellent in. And the, the whole idea of preparation just kind of lingered in, in me. And um, through the evening last night, I kept trying to, to glean something from the Lord that was different than that because I said, Lord, I saw that, and, and again, it's interesting that I saw this girl from Israel do that, and I was really, I was blessing the country there, but uh, I couldn't get that out of my head, and I thought, Lord, I, I got to get this out of my head because I need to get a scripture, I need to get scripture from you. And it's funny, it's funny how sometimes you argue with, you know, and not argue with God, you're, you're telling God something that he knows good and well, that's what you're there for, and I think after decades and decades of doing this, is no stranger to our conversation on a Saturday 
that this is what <laughs> we were partnering to bring forth for the network. But um, so I thought, well, okay, well, I'll just get up early in the morning and maybe the the idea of preparation will go away from me. And as is so often the case, you will drop something into my spirit and it, it'll just be something that I feel really thankful for. So... 4.45, I'm up, I've got the coffee maker going, and I'm still thinking about this thing of preparation. <laughs> I could not get it out of my mind. And so then I go upstairs with my coffee. It's a real juggling act. You'd be really, Dennis, you'd really be blessed to see how I can carry all these things in a cup of coffee up the steps into the happy place at that time in the morning. I'm going somewhere with this. This is better than what you'd be watching on TV right now. Um, so... I started looking at preparation, and I recognized that this is really what the Lord wants us to be talking about now, not just preparation for a seminar, but where the Father really has us right now in preparing ourselves for what's coming. And, um, you know, the Bible speaks a lot about preparation, and there are some nuances of, of the Scripture that truly speak to us in a very intimate way about what the Spirit may be preparing in you for the season that is about to be burst upon us. And I, I really ask that the Lord would cause us to recognize what's truly happening in us and what God has laid in front of us for the world. And Preparation is something that is our main, our main uh, development right now as intercessors. We're serving the Father, but we're also preparing. And sometimes preparation can seem like you're not doing anything. Sometimes preparation can be boring. Sometimes preparation can become redundant. Sometimes you can think, well, I'm tired of preparing. It's time to get going. Like I heard so many times from really immature ministerial students when I was in college. Ah, bless God, I don't need to be here studying. I need to get out. The fields are white and the time is short. And, you know, you think, well, most of those guys are probably working at uh, Whataburger right now. But the, the thing is that um, God wants us to recognize that preparation, even though it might seem redundant to us or like nothing is happening, is imperative for the time when we're put into the forefront by the Spirit. And I can remember, well, I don't need to go down that trail, but just in any kind of pursuit that any of us have done for something that you train for, um, it's not just coming onto the field to see what you can do or to hit the track to see what you can to, to demonstrate those moments and the success there indicates what you did to get ready. And the, the thousands of hours, perhaps, that you invest um, may, may not seem very productive in themselves, but when you're especially preparing for the Father, um, those are precious in His sight. And again, it's the journey.
So we're going to look at some aspects of preparation, and we're going to touch on some of them, but it's good, it's good for us to, to recognize that this is what's happening right now. And we're, we're getting strengthened, we're getting positioned, we're, we're becoming uh, skilled at certain facets of things in the spirit realm that are going to be very helpful to us as we serve the Father in the timetable that's ahead. And so I really believe that the Lord was saying something throughout these past many hours that you need to remember that you're being prepared. So, I want to first talk about something that Jesus said in John 14, is leading into the bulk of that red section in the middle of the book of John. And he says in verse 1 of John 14, Do not let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. We've taught on this in the past, but mansions isn't some palatial castle, it really has more to do with um, uh, kind of a corporate kind of pursuit. And, and then he says, um, you know, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and a place is your assignment, your position, your facet of the main measure of what the Father is doing. And there are many things that the Father is doing, and each of us has our place in those. But then he says, I go to prepare a place for you. Or in other words, I go to prepare that opportunity for you to know your place. And if I go and prepare that place, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Now, we've often we've regularly interpreted this from a, an eschatological standpoint. In other words, end times. You know, I've got a mansion over the hilltop. One day, bless God, Jesus is coming, and I'm going to go to my home in the sky. And that's the way we think about it. It's all rapture-oriented. And when we think that, we're really missing it. All those things are true, maybe not in the way we envision them or the Southern gospel music indicates, but um, let me just read another, and then we'll talk about it. And that you may be also, uh, whither I go, uh, you know, and the way you know. Thomas said, Lord, we don't know whether you're, where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. If you'd known me, you would have known my father also, and from henceforth you know him. And then Philip carries the conversation on. Well, really clearly what Jesus was talking about here is representing the father as sons. You can read the context. Jesus isn't skipping like one of those old 78 records. He's saying an answer to them. When, when Thomas and Philip start asking, where are you talking about? We don't know where you're going. We don't know what you're preparing. And Jesus is saying, hey, look, you know, I've been here. You've seen the Father. You've seen and understood what I'm teaching about sonship. I, and, and really, when has Jesus come back? <laughs> did he come back when he was talking to John on Patmos? Well, we better believe he did. Or we join the crowd that says that's some fanciful, um, heretical, Martianite word. 
I mean, Jesus is walking with us right now. The place Jesus went to prepare is that right hand of the Father. And this whole discussion is about the Father and them walking as sons. And Jesus is, uh, bear with me here, but it seems like he's kind of rebuking them. How don't you know what I'm talking about? Doesn't it seem that way to you? So if he goes and he says, my father is doing lots of different things, and I'm going to prepare a place for you to be a part of that. And if I go, I'm going to come again. And that's, that's what he's done over and over again. Because he is active right now in that place he's prepared with the Father in regard to all the things that our Father is doing, which is why he came, by the way. He did not just come so you can escape the fires of hell, and one day when the trumpet blows, you can tell all the people who are living in sin that, yeah, nah, see, I told you, and you can go up there and walk on streets of gold and say hi to all your relatives, which will, for me, take about 10 seconds. But, you know... Uh, and, you know, I, I, just, I just see this, but the preparation of Jesus is all about partnering with the Father. And I dare you read this and see if this isn't really what he's talking about. He's giving the answer to them. They're asking him this, and he's kind of perplexed, I think, and he starts talking about the Father. That's his answer. Where are you going? How do I get there? And he's talking about the Father. Isn't that true? So the preparation Jesus makes for us is for us to recognize our place in the kingdom and our place with him as we serve the purpose of the Father. After all, that's what Jesus is praying for right now. If I read the Bible correctly, and I believe we do, he's praying for us to know the Father and that we would accomplish the will of the Father. That's what the Bible says. So that's this place that he's made for us. And the way that the Father is moving uh, in so many different avenues, this is our privilege to be that as intercessors, especially in these rather amazing days that we're living in. So uh, it's, it's really an interesting thing that the preparation Jesus makes is for us to really accept our point in partnership with the Father and our place of, of preparation. But the answer here to, I don't know how to get there, I don't know what you're talking about, where you're going, you know, how are you going to come back, and how is this going to be? And then Jesus launches into the answer about the Father. I mean, I don't think Jesus was disjointed in his thought process. I mean, I think he was just telling them what was going on. And then you keep reading where he talks about prayer, and he's talking about you're going to know the Father like I knew him in the glory uh, when the, before the world was formed, and you're going to be able to know his heart and ask him for things, and he will give them to you because you're going to be partnering with him. This is Jesus. This is what that whole red section is about. And that's a place he prepared for us. And I'm very, very grateful for that. So with that in mind, let's look at something else that God prepares for us. And it's in Psalm 23, 5. His table, where is it? Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. 
Thou anointest my head with oil, my cup runs over. Uh, this is interesting because when we think about a table, we think about some of those nice tables that Imani has brought into the place here and, you know, the massive uh, arc-like table that Scott made for downstairs. And we think of that kind of table. But if you'll look up in your lexicon, not necessarily when I'm preaching, but if you'll look it up, you'll see that this just means an animal skin. And it's, it's kind of like a, uh, a wilderness picnic gathering, but for warriors. Because they're not going to have a checkerboard thing, you know, like covers our soundboard. It's going to be, you know, with the, with the Star of David on it. It's, it's an animal skin, and they put it out there so that they can lay food on and be ready for battle. If he's prepared this table for us in, in the midst of the enemy, that's, that's something that um, we're not going to fear because he's with us, and he's prepared the table. But we are a people that are serving our Father. And so those are things that God has prepared. Another thing that he prepared is, is something that we talk about uh, in Matthew 22, verses 1 through 13. And this is the story about the king who prepares a marriage for his son, and he sends the servants out to uh, invite people. And you, we've talked about this a lot, and from many different angles, from several different passages, and all of the all of the excuses start start pouring in for why individuals will not attend this banquet or participate in this marriage gathering, and even some are uh, entreated spitefully and slain, and the king becomes really indignant and angry about this. And so he says, the wedding is ready. You go out into the highways and the hedges, and you bring in the lame, the maimed, the blind. You bring in people that, uh, and, and I remember speaking about this in our last, very last gathering in Oregon. And I remember that it, it, I knew that it was a word from God about where we're going as a network, and that this really means that there are people that really want to see, that really want to hear, that really have been hindered in their ability to maneuver, and that God is bringing them uh, a measure of clarity and instruction. And this table is prepared. And that's, that's what God has, this feast. And we're being given the privilege of um, of partnering with him in preparing the food and laying it out there on this this isn't an animal skin this time it's it's a, a table and we are giving getting the privilege to be able to go out into places where people are positioned in the gap which is the hedge and where there are crossroads and crossways so that people can come nations can come and hear about how to know the Father. And, you know, it's interesting, too, though, that it says when this really begins to happen, there are going to be some people who come that are good and some that are bad, poneros, who just are ornery, and they're just going to come. And the, the, the leader of the feast comes and says, you know, friend, where is your wedding garment? And the person does not answer. And this seems rather uncharacteristic of God. How dare he do such a thing? But he says, bind him hand and foot and get him out of here. That seems kind of rough, isn't it? Who does that anyway? Uh, 
you know? If there was some rowdy that showed up for the Stewart's 50th anniversary, Dennis wouldn't have said, bind him hand and foot and carry him out of here. They would have just had Rick usher the guy out, or Ryan, or me in my priest outfit, you know, one or the other. But who binds somebody hand and foot and casts them into outer darkness where they weep and wail and gnash their teeth? That doesn't even sound like the Lord does it. So what does that mean? We've got to be ready if when the Spirit begins to move, if there's somebody that has not come to do what God has called us to do, we need to make certain that we invite them to join in. But if they won't, if they choose not to become a part of that, then we make sure that everybody knows don't partner with what their hands are about. Don't go roaming around with them and get them out of here. Now, boy, that sounds awful, doesn't it? It just breaks those people with hearts of mercy. But we're going to have to be very careful to say if that happens, we got to get them out of here. Now, why would that be? If you've not paid any attention recently, to the demonic deception that is flooding through not only our country and the, or in the world. We used to warn people about those who broke off and went away, and we would say, now be very careful. John warned not to have fellowship with them because if you go around them, it is like a poison. It is like a poison. And many didn't, didn't, uh, didn't obey, I don't want to say obey, they didn't hearken, and they were taken out. This stuff that's going on now across our nation is not only a poison, but it is inebriating. And it, it, it almost turns people into, I don't want to say they're demonized, but they're certainly under the influence of doctrines that are not coming from God. And, and if you let that kind, you, you cannot dabble with that kind of thing in your feast time. And so we're going to have to be very careful in preparing our minds and our will to do what Jesus says. This is Jesus saying this. When the feast that God has prepared and we're welcoming people that he has selected to the table, if somebody comes in that would be a, a spot on our feast of charity, then we don't, we don't mince words with it. If they're not willing to be cloaked in the garment that God or the mantle of, of responsibility that God has called, we need to be ready to say, okay, don't partner with them, don't go with them, you're out of here. I, I don't know how, any other way to, to describe this. In fact, there were warnings when Paul wrote about those that were spots on the feasts of the, of the table of grace. You remember those words? And there, there were other instances in the Scripture where we are warned in that similar way. Kind of a reverse thing is that if you're going forth in an apostolic venture and you come into a place and some people receive you but they're not willing to participate in the mission I've given you, you go out from there. And if, if, if it really gets to a point where it's still soiling you, shake the dust off and don't go there again. And then he further said, if you go into a place and people are accepting you, and then, uh, uh, you know, and that's a gift. Listen, that's, that's a gift. But there's a bigger, better place that 
that stands up. You stay where you are, where the people are accepting you. So it's kind of a twofold warning to us to prepare ourselves in this way. And we've, we've seen this in operation when we've gone. And, and it's going to become more and more pronounced, especially when amazing things start happening, where God begins to show signs and wonders because, listen, this message of the saints and sons knowing the Father is what God is doing in these last days. It is. Read ahead who's going to be warring on behalf of the kingdom in those scriptures that speak about the end times. It sure ain't first church down the street. It's the saints and it's the prophets. And those are the ones that the enemy is trying to eliminate right now. But God is giving us the resources to teach and to lead and to guide people into that walk. So when God begins to showcase this in bigger ways than we can even imagine, a rising tide floats all boats, and we've got to be prepared that not everybody that comes saying, oh, yes, I want to be here, is... um, is really going to be sent of the Lord. You think, well, did the Lord ever do that? Well, he didn't bind a guy hand and foot. But remember when the rich young ruler came to him in the darkness and said, uh, you know what, what can I do to inherit the kingdom? And Jesus gives him some very stoic words of direction, and that guy went away sad. He was not willing to do it. You know, most churches, including me probably 30 years ago, would have said, man, this guy is rich. Number two, he's young. And number three, he's a ruler. We need to do everything we can to keep him in here. That's what most churches think. And as soon as that guy says, you know, we don't like what's going on up there in that intercession, we're, we're going to leave. I'm going to show you the tithe you're, you're going to lose if we leave. So you better stop that right now. Got to keep that person calm over there because we don't want to infuriate the rich, the young, and the ruler back there. So it's, it's very interesting, and I did not intend to go down this, this avenue with this, but I think it's something we need to know we better prepare for. Uh, I, it, and it's Scripture. What a strange message. Let's move on to something that might make Bev happy. <laughs> Okay, Bev's happy all the time. I'm just playing. All right, Isaiah 40, verse 3. These are some of our main responsibilities. So, the way of the Lord, a highway for our God. I saw an interesting nuance here, and and I wanted to bring this forth. Uh, The voice of him that cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. And so that is to prepare things that will guide people into the highway of the plan of, uh, no, into the specific steps of the plan of God and make straight in the desert a highway for Elohim. That's interesting. On the one hand, you're preparing to teach people about the ways of God and his plan. But you're making a highway, and you're making it straight in the desert for people to know the heart of God. Isn't that weird? It's not weird. It's just a distinguishing between those two things. And in the desert of all places, you know, Elohim in the desert, um, that is 
That is an amazing thing. So we're preparing two things. We're preparing our understanding of what God has shown us about the specific things in his word that he is requiring of us, the meat of his word, and so that we can serve God and serve Yahweh and the plan of God. But we also have to make sure that we're spending enough time in that solitary place in the heart of God so that those that, um, that are there in a point where God wants to work miracles, uh, in that desert place where he wants to turn that into a garden, where he wants to bring rain, where he wants to bring uh, rivers of living water, uh, those are miracle things. I just think it's interesting that the friends of the bridegroom seem to be hanging out in the desert uh, because those are potential points for God to work miracles and turn things. But we are, we're making straight a pathway. If people are going to be in the desert, the only way they're going to survive there is by knowing the heart of God and having that burden that the heart of God brings. I just think that's very interesting. It's a highway. So you prepare, you prepare the specific steps of the plan of God, but you also are making ready a highway in places of miracle that God has put people in so that they will know Halloween. It's a highway. So you got the highway and the path. you got the highway and the steps. Specific steps. People usually want one or the other. We've said that. They either want to be a warrior or a lover. Sometimes they don't want to be either. But, you know, I don't want to learn those, all those steps. That's too hard for me. It's just too much. I just can't do it. So forget that measure of, of the, the preparing the, the way of the, the Lord. And others will say, oh, I just want to seek God. I want to go out into the nature and Know the presence of God. That's wonderful. But I, I don't want to, uh, it's too much work to know the other thing. You're, you're making loving God into work. Well, no, you're not. Because if you're loving God, he's going to teach you things, and then you're going to have to make disciples if I read my Bible correctly. And I think I do in that. So how do we prepare? We prepare so that we can teach those um, who need to know about the plan of God. And we also make sure that we have kept the fires burning in our own heart toward Elohim, and, and we, keep, we keep calling out to him in the wilderness, in the desert place, concerning his promise. That's where the friend of the bridegroom is. And there's, there are highways, ways for people to get to that. But once they get to that, they have to then encounter and receive him, and then they've got to adapt his plan. It's just like what we say about the coming before the throne of God, and God catches us there, or we sense him come here, and it's glorious and it's wonderful. But when you're there, you're not just eating grapes and stroking a harp and enjoying his love. He's teaching you things. He's telling you things. He's giving you assignments. You're coming away with a burden. Now, a lot of people want the passion. They don't want the burden. 
And, and so what are you going to do with that? We prepare ourselves. We're preparing ourselves to present this. And I, I just, I think we, we need to be ready for that. We, we, need to be, we need to really be ready for that. We say, well, we already know this, Pastor. Do we? Do we really? Have we remembered that? You know, sometimes I feel, I was, we were speaking about this the other day, but I, 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 sometimes I feel more like a cheerleader than a leader. And, you know, sometimes I feel I got to keep reminding people that, hey, you know what? God has given us this revolutionary capacity of diversities of tongues. You better be using it every day. God was really convicting me the other day about this. Not about my life necessarily, but, you know, there are a lot of saints who aren't praying every day. There's a lot of saints who, who only the Spirit would know that. But I sure felt him impressing upon me that I needed to raise that warning. And then I thought, do we need to put together some kind of a primer for what actually happens when, scripturally when we pray in unknown tongues and when we pray in diversities, which we all should know anyway. But I'm wondering if we need to do that just to remind people, look, we need to be doing this, first of all, because God says it. It's his gift. And, and here are all the things that happen in us that won't happen in us if we're not doing it. So that's all the preaching I'm doing with that. Uh, perspective of the messenger, Mal Malachi 3, 1 through 3. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight in. Behold, he shall come, says the Lord of hosts. But who may abide the day of his coming, and who shall stand when he appears? Let's, let's wait right there. So we're preparing the way for the Lord to come. And um, he's suddenly going to come. This is interesting because it's a little bit different than the earlier passage that has more of an onus upon us making this ready so that others can come and participate. This one in Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, speaking about God showing up in a suddenly to those who are preparing for that. And, and who's going to abide the day? Who's, who's going to stand when he appears? Well, here are some factors. He is like a refiner's fire. Mark was preaching about the fire this morning in Sunday school. And you've got to be willing to, to keep being committed to his ways, his judgment and, and burning. And then you need to be ready to be cleansed. He's like a fuller soap to get those stains out, to get those spots out. He shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. Now, this is kind of interesting, especially concerning what's coming next. He shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He has to say this first to, to clarify you need to be sure that you're fulfilling what God has called you to do. Because remember, silver is a lieutenant's facet. It is a, it is a lieutenant's color in the spectrum of, of what God is doing. 
And it really speaks about people finding their place and being faithful in their place. And if they do that, then he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. So, first of all, you've got a refiner and purifier of silver, and then you've got these priests, these that are going to represent God on earth, who are, are speaking about gold and silver. That's interesting, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. So, when God begins to come, it kind of reminds me of the message that we heard all the time, if you ever went to Brownsville, it was all mostly about repentance. But when God comes suddenly in this thing that we've been preparing for, <clears throat> we need to be sure to say, okay, if we're going to be able to stand in this, we've got to commit ourselves to what he's doing in his fire, and we've got to make sure that we're clean, and we've got to make sure that we are doing what he has called us to do, and then we need to make sure that we are as priests welcoming that visitation of the gold of his purpose and what ramification that is for those who would attend to that. Because that falls into that process of earthquake, which is what God's trying to do uh, in the place where his visitation is, because this was a fourfold progression. So that's another measure of preparation. Trust only in the Lord. Isaiah 57, verses 13 through 15. When you cry, let, the let thy companies deliver thee, but the wind shall carry them all away. Vanity shall take them, but he that puts his trust in me shall possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain. That's interesting. It's a word for us, and we as Americans need to really hear this. <laughs> I think maybe you're like me, and my apologies to those of you who are watching from other lands. But I just kind of was raised here in the good old U.S. of A., and I figured we're in the best country on earth. We have the best military on earth. We are kicking it and taking names. And um, we, we've been blessed by God. I'm going to trust in the fact that we have a constitution. I'm going to trust in the fact that we're as Americans and we can worship God because that's why our forefathers came here. And, um, you know, all of our investments are secure. And uh, all that, all that uh, uh, retirement that we've prepared for, we're hoping and believing and praying that it's still going to be there. But from what we've seen in the past year or so, how much is that going to be worth? I mean, how much more debt can our government pile up? How many more trillions? And what's that going to mean? What's going to happen when China finally overtakes America, which is that their stated goal is? And what's going to happen when they tell us we can't come to church? I mean, you can't you can't go into the museums of New York without having a little pass to show. What's going to happen when we don't bow down to the latest uh, uh, social media craze? And they say, you know, if you don't, you know, we're going to give you this mark on your on your phone, first of all. And if, if you don't subscribe to what we're saying, you're not going to have this mark, and you're just going to be out there abandoned. If we as Americans, see, and, and always I thought that, and I thought, yeah, 
before all this stuff starts happening, we're going to be caught away. We won't have to deal with any of that. I remember one time Jack Hayford teaching on this. He's out in the four square movement, so he can say things a little more broadly. Um, he said, um, we don't know post, pre, post, or mid. We, we don't know what God is going to have us really have to encounter. We don't know the challenges that will come to us. Um, it's easy to think we're just going to be out of here before any challenges come. That guess what? The challenges are already here. We're seeing them. And so here in Isaiah 57, it says, when you yell out, and this is God speaking to people, let the companies deliver us. The wind will carry them away, and all of those vain thoughts will be taken. But those who trust in me <laughs> will possess the land and shall inherit my holy mountain, and shall say, cast you up, cast you up, prepare the way, remove the stumbling block out of the way of my people. For thus says the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place with him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit. And this is what I really wanted to talk about. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. What does that mean for us? Humility and contrition need to be revived. And, and I think it's interesting that it says that the spirit of the humble needs to be revived and the heart of the contrite needs to be revived. What's that mean for you and me? I, I believe I need a little of both of those right now. You know, our spirit is what God redeems. And we're born again in spirit to pursue his truth, to partner with him in the things that he is uncovering and revealing. And this is where humility is, because you have to say, I'm going to die to self and follow after what it is that you're doing in spirit. I, I, I'm going to have to continually humble myself so that I can move forward in grace because God exalts the humble. And, and I've, I've got to be revived in that. I, I've got to have a, a reviving of, of, of that understanding, first of all, that it is imperative for me to be humble. And my humility is really lodged in my commitment to the Spirit. To revive the heart of the contrite. Contrition, as we've said, is something that you commit yourself to and you're willing to be ground to dust, ground back into that part God created us as dust so that we can be moving in the Spirit. This is the first part of that voice, thunders, lightnings, earthquake. We commit ourselves to being the voice, the intercessor that God looks for. And then if we're going to be caught up into the secret place of thunder, we've got to be contrite. There comes a time where sometimes the enemy might say, I think probably it happens in this progression, you know, my spirit is kind of weary. You know, David said that in Psalm 51. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. 
David was on that front line of being contrite. And, you know, I'm sure David the warrior had to work at that. This was foremost for him because he already had a heart. He was seeking hard after God, which is why God chose him. It's what Samuel said to Saul. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Restore a right spirit within me. I mean, I, I, I think that we've got to ask God as we're preparing. God, it's not that any of you are going into the pride. That's not what I'm saying, because pride would be the stance then where you buck up and say, I'm tired of being this. I, I, I'm, I'm going to step out of the spirit, step into the flesh now, show people really what we can do, what I can do. We've got to ask God to revive our spirit. We've got to ask God to instill that purity of humility. And you think about it. How else could we function in the spirit? Because when you're in God in the spirit, no man can stand before God in that. You better be humble if you're before the God of all the universe. And, and I'm, I'm not suggesting anybody's going into pride, but what I'm suggesting is that we've got to get a double portion of the reviving of our spirit to where somehow that, that process of God where humility really is more than just a slogan where you are, you are committing yourself totally and afresh. You're dying to the self so that you can, you can die to the things that God wants to do in the Spirit, which is why we're here. But then to have a reviving of heart, that steering wheel of all of these things, that, which, is, which is what contrition chooses to do. You know, that's, that's really where an intercessor is. If, if you commit yourself to truly being an intercessor, you're committing to the things of the Spirit, aren't you? It's, it's not by might or by power, but by God's Spirit. It's not through your long eloquence. It's through your coming as the widow with her might and giving more than anybody else because you give what little you have as a remnant, as, as a residue. And, you know, you, you come and you say, yes, I will be this voice, which means I'll stop using my voice for my own will, for my own ways, and I will, I will commit myself to being a voice instead of the strong arm. Maybe we need to be reminded. I don't know about reviving. Maybe a reminding of that. Because commitment and humility in spirit is really what makes an intercessor. But contrition is a different thing. Contrition, you're revived in heart. You, you commit yourself to, to a pathway that is making you as dust. And that's what allows you to be caught up into the secret place of thunder. And so here you have God saying uh, that this is what you really need to be uh, prepared for. Uh, you're committing yourself to his way. You're preparing the way. You're moving stumbling blocks out of the way. And um, you're, you're allowing God to revive you in these two important facets of contrition and humility. I, I would think that I felt this morning as I was putting these scriptures 
on, uh, before you, that all of them, each of them, were things that God wanted us to speak and to sew into the fabric of who we are. But out of all of it, this particular phrasing is what truly was illuminated by the Spirit. And so I release to all of our network family and to each of you a reviving of spirit, humility in your spirit, which is a precious thing in the sight of God. And, and, you know, it's funny how so many things come out of that because the spirit is the substance of God within us that Jesus gave himself to redeem. (laughs) to make born again. And there's so much power in that core place. Uh, You know, out of that place, rivers of living water are said to be potentially flowing. And and it's, it's easy, even with that understanding, to become kind of quasi prideful in that or to just shut down and say, well, either I'm going to be prideful about it or I'm just going to give up. I don't care anymore. That focuses on the Spirit. But if that's in place, then you can give yourself to contrition for the acts, the prophetic acts, what you do, what you don't do. Your heart chooses to keep yourself on the pathway. And that's, those two things are what God looks to over and over again in Scripture. We've taught on this ad infinitum. And, and it's, it's, it's something that God says, I want to revive that in us. Maybe reviving is not necessarily saying you've been doing it wrong or you've really been failing. Maybe God is quickening a portion of our spirit and our ability to be contrite that to this point has not come online yet because God hasn't required it but will in the days to come. I don't know. But one thing I do know is that every time we go into a new place, we got a whole new set of dying to do. You know, it's kind of like if you, you know, every now and then I'll go out and do yard work that I only do once a year. I don't know what those muscles that I use for that do during the rest of the year. Obviously, they don't do anything. Because when I do something I haven't done, boy, I tell you, I feel it. (laughs) And I don't like it, but I feel it. And I just rejoice that I'm still able to do it. But, you know, especially when you're going into a place where God has ordained in your spirit to serve him in a new day, in a new place, you've got dying to do, you've got development to do, and maybe that's part of what this reviving is. So that's the beauty of reviving. It can bring something uh, to, to resuscitate something, but it can also bring something to life that hasn't been functioning. And I think that's a twofold thing. So I release that to us. We need it if we're going to be people who are preparing for this this pathway that God is, uh, is causing us to work with him to prepare. Let's look at this passage from Joel chapter 3. Proclaim ye this among the Gentiles. Prepare war. Wake up the mighty men. 
Let all the men of war draw near. Let them come up. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Assemble yourselves. Come, uh, all you heathen, and gather yourselves together round about. Thither cause thy mighty ones to come down, O Lord. Let the heathen be wakened and come up to the valley of Jehoshaphat. For there will I sit to judge all the heathen round about. Put you in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, get you down, for the press is full, for the fats overflow, for the wickedness is great. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision, for the day of the Lord is near in the valley of decision. Now look at that. <laughs> I believe we're in that day. And so you've got, you've got this picture of harvest. The press is full. The vats overflow. And then why in the world does it say the wickedness is great? That doesn't even make sense. That don't make no sense know-how. I don't get that. But it's the day we're living in. Multitudes, multitudes in the valley of decision. We're in a valley of decision. You know, war is in the valley. Prosperity is in the valley. The valley of decision, Isaiah speaks about the, the burden of the valley of vision. That's also there. But here we're preparing. When we, when we go into places around the world and we're speaking to these Gentile nations, we're equipping them for war. And it's obvious. I mean, maybe it's obvious to me because, you know, Every week, I have the privilege of reaching out to various groups around the world. But I can tell you now, the ones that are coming online are hungry for what God has given us. They want to know the Lord. And, and it is a very concerted direction from the Spirit to get them ready for battle. This is the day of the Lord of hosts. It's the valley of decision. Multitudes, multitudes, that double Reference, God is speaking to people in the intimacy of their life. And he's saying, what will you decide? What will you decide? The harvest is there. The vats are full. The presses are overflowing. Wickedness is great. Isn't that strange? That's darkness upon the land. Gross darkness the people. But my light shines on you. It's, it's great. We like to speak about the revival that's coming, but we don't want to speak about the other parts of every one of those verses that says things look like it's going to hell in a handbasket in the midst of that. But there it is. So we prepare for war. How do you prepare for war? Just teach them how to blow the shofar or sing the latest song about the enemy's camp and stamp their feet just right. Does Debbie Kay need to make some banners that speak about warfare and that's preparing us, even though that might be a good idea? You prepare them for war by teaching them how to submit before the, the Prince of Peace, the, the, uh, the parats that is the breaker that goes before us. And the only way they can be prepared to do that is by establishing themselves in the hedges in the Peretz. So it's interesting. So we're preparing these Gentiles for war, and we're cause, asking that the mighty men be awakened. 
I think that's very interesting. Also, let's look, page three, and look at that. You turn the page, and there's only two verses there. I expect that I just determined I was going to preach as long as I could on Olivia's birthday. Just drag it out as long as I could. There's only two verses on that third sheet. I'm just playing. I'm going to preach the Lord says be done regardless. I'm just joking. Isaiah 21.5, prepare the table, watch in the watchtower, eat, drink, arise, you princes, and anoint the shield. What does this mean? Now, those of you who see that title, you should remember that that was a Jimi Hendrix tune, but I just put it up there. It used to be in our hymnal. Um, but <laughs> prepare the table. Here's that word again, the table. That's, that's a battlefield alignment. And make sure you're watching in the watchtower. Watch there is looking out into what's coming, in, into future things. And, we're, you know, Mark was talking about having dreams about things that are coming. And I think that all of us need to be prepared to have a quickened measure of foreknowing. And I think that that's part of the prophetic mindset that's coming not just in vague terms or general terms, but specific things that we can prepare for. That's, that's something that has to happen. Eat, drink, arise, princes, anoint the shield. Why, why do you anoint the shield? You know, if, if, you're, if you've got battlefield prep and you're, you're on the watchtower and you're ready to go, why do you have to anoint a shield? That's a defensive thing, isn't it? Because you need an anointing against the fiery darts. You need an anointing against those things that are targeting your supply. You need an anointing to continue to walk in faith. The shield of faith is the shield of what God has commissioned you to do and to be from the right hand of the throne. And you need to, you need to walk in that anointing so that you can encompass that. You, you cannot do it in your own strength. You need the anointing. Now, how do you anoint the shield? Is it well, one time, okay, I want everybody to line up here. We're going to lay hands on you, and we're figuratively going to anoint your shield. Well, that's, that's not what that means. Amen. See, even the Lord is calling to sell us. That's not what that means. But, you know, it means we have a responsibility to keep functioning in the anointing. You've got to keep your shield anointed. You know, in the ancient war, there's only one more verse to go, but in the ancient uh, times, why would they anoint the shield? So that it stayed supple, so that it stayed um, capable of doing what it was supposed to be doing. If they didn't anoint the shield, then it became cracked, then it became, began to deteriorate, and it would just be like carrying flimsy paper. And you, you, if, you, if you don't keep your shield anointed, it may look good, but it's only got an appearance of effectiveness. First battle is just going to wipe it out. Does that make sense? So when we are prepared for war, we prepared the table, we're watching, uh, we're enjoying as those that are princes before the Lord, we got to make sure that the shield is anointed, and, and that, that is something that is absolutely essential. Last one. 
the priority of our preparation. Proverbs 24, 27. Prepare thy work without and make it fit for yourself in the field and afterwards build your house. This, this, this is an amazing thing. You, you remember back to what um, the, uh, when the dispersion was coming back from Babylon and God was telling those guys, you know, hey, you're building your own houses here, and what about my house? What's wrong with you? And what does this mean for us here? Prepare thy work without and make it fit for thyself in the field, and afterwards build thine house. I think this tells us what God has been doing here. Sometimes as pastor, I wonder, Lord, there have been so many visions and so many dreams about this place just absolutely overflowing with people. And figuratively, it is. I mean, there are thousands of people around the world that affiliate themselves with this house as saints. So you, you, have, to, you, you have to recognize that, it's, that it's, this is a much bigger thing than we see with the eyes. But yet, people have seen things that are going to be happening in this house. And I, I believe that this verse right here is part of what God has done everywhere that he worked throughout the Old Testament. We have to invest ourselves where God leads us in the fields. We have to do our work and do it well without, outside of where we are. And make, make it absolutely the way we know it should be, not do a half-baked effort, but to do it so that in ourselves we can say, Father, we've done everything we could there. We've done everything that we felt you were saying. And we, our, our eyes are on the watchtower. We're looking outward. We are partnering with you in sowing this. Do your work there. Prepare that. And then afterwards build your house. That's what God says. And that's really, this seems like an odd verse there in Proverbs 24, and it kind of is because in true Solomon uh, pursuit, he's just kind of gems of Solomon through the Spirit. It's just everywhere sometimes when you're reading that, isn't it? But this is, a, this is from the guy who built the temple under the direction of the Spirit. And he's saying, and, and I wonder about that for him, because we also know what happened with Solomon. You know, David did the tabernacle work and set things in motion without for the house to be built. But then Solomon, in his dedicatory prayer, was saying, this house is here now so that we can send tabernacles out. And, and I wonder with him, as he was initially commissioned to see the nation expand to the ends of the earth, I wonder if this wasn't really the heart of what God wanted, that, that the, the objective would be without. And it seems to me that that really was one of the factors for why the demise of Israel happened. You know, he started bringing in all these wives in, and he wasn't really changing those nations out there. He was entering into convenient political alliance marriages, 
and bringing in gods instead of tearing down altars. And so this is kind of a sad verse, but it's a true verse. And I believe that as we're preparing and we continue to prepare for the open fields that God is directing us to and the wide open tables in the heavens that he is wanting us to serve with him to populate. I, I think that God is saying, not that, uh, you know, I think we've all committed ourselves to the, to the you're here, certainly not because we have uh, 50,000 things every week to satisfy your every whim. You're here because God has called you to be an intercessor and you are partnering for the ends of the earth to hear what it is that God has given. Um, but perhaps this is a promise that it kind of struck me this way. I'd never seen this before. You build your own house afterward. I think that because we have sown and we prepared the way of the Lord and we continue to do this, um, and it, it's our agenda, it's, it's our heart's passion, um, because we're doing that on behalf of our Father and His mission, what God promises is that this house that's always been provided for is going to have a visitation of growth and building and it's going to be by the hand of the Lord in a way that none of us can expect. And I don't know what to do then because I'm so not familiar with that. And you aren't either. <laughs> I'm, uh, our heart is so in to prepare the work without and make it fit and make it fit for yourself in the field. Isn't that a weird thing, that threefold thing? And hasn't that been what you've done? Hasn't then that been what the Father has point by point directed you to do? And then the enemy comes and attacks, yeah, but what about your own house? I see this place blessed. I see you blessed. And, and I'm grateful to the Lord for that. But, you know, in the natural, it looks like this house hasn't been built yet. But God says this plan, and for whatever reason, this verse just, boy, did it, in preparing your work without, this last part of it just really stuns me. How that's going to manifest, I don't know. And honestly, I better stop talking because I'm going to start prophesying, and I don't really want to prophesy publicly what I'm sensing right now. But, you know, God is good, and we're preparing with him for the breakthrough we are we are preparing in all of these ways maybe in some ways that are uncomfortable but we're preparing but this last verse i got to memorize this one i've read it before but it's never had meaning like i feel it burning and in the in the part about the the reviving uh <laughs> of the spirit and, and contrition in the heart. We need that. God's obviously preparing us for something incredible. He really is. 
You know, I, I again, I, Livy, I told you I was going to preach really long today just because it was your birthday. Um, I remember those first years when we were all praying and God would be giving us dreams and visions about different places around the world. You know, many people were seeing African nations and um, the French were very much on our heart and the French-speaking nations. And for me, I kept seeing the Scandinavian nations as well. And that has yet to open, but it's going to. And Eastern Europeans, man, oh man, there's such a hunger of the Spirit there. And I'm, we need to be believing for that to open in a big way very soon. Um, but we prepared for that. I don't think any of us really thought we were going there. I didn't think that. I thought, oh, this is great. We're praying for all these places. And, you know, other people were having dreams about people streaming in here. And I thought, that's what I'm ready for, you know. And we, we got to have prayer people with, I didn't, I wasn't the one that had badges for captains. But, you know, we got to get ready because they're all going to flood in here. And all of that preparation, those years, and then suddenly God just opens the nations. And what's he prayer preparing us for now? We're being prepared for something. And when it hits, it's going to revolutionize how we function before God. And there are already cracks and crevices of breakthrough and new, new places uh, that, that are being opened. But when, when the fields without and the, 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 the mighty men of the nations and the Gentiles are prepared for war and the, the way of the Lord is ready and we've got to have the highway of the, of the heart of God ready for them to, to clearly find it if they want. Afterwards, build thine house. What does that mean for us? What does that mean for this place? That's a... That's not just a promise in this verse. That's what God did over and over again in the Old Testament. And you and you and all of us have been following that pattern. That wasn't our agenda. God didn't show us this verse right off and say, hey, you know what? If you go out and you do all these things, guess what I'm going to do? He never said that. That would be enough to have a seminar and bring pastors in. You want your house to be built by the Lord? Well, here's how you do it. Four steps. Preachers would sign up for that. They might even buy the CDs. But you go without, and you go out there. Go without. That means, that means a couple of different things, doesn't it? <laughs> We're preparing, and I'm, I'm basically done now. Sorry, Olivia. I've stretched this out just as long as I could. I hope it's irritated you sufficiently. I'm just playing with you. But see, this is this preparation business is where we are. And and I think that you need to be watching that in the coming days there will probably be and I don't know when this is going to happen. I'm just sensing this in the spirit that it's time to act on this table of the Lord and different ways that we need to be praying about as the Spirit 
is, is wanting us to agree with the Father for open doors in certain place and the filling of tables with those who are hungry. And how he's going to ask us to pray and what he may be asking us for some fasting, I don't know. I'm just sensing that stirring right now. Uh, it's obvious that I didn't process very much before I came up here with these sheets. So I didn't process that either. But this is really at the forefront of what God is doing. Some of you have seen the table of the Lord. You've seen it, and it's a beckoning for what God is going to do. But I bless all of you. But these are just things we need to prepare. And again, the last thing I say, I'm pretty sure, is we need to be evaluating how we're praying every day. <laughs> I'm not saying you have to come up here to pray every day. Some of you are coming, and that I bless you. You can all come whenever you want or pray wherever you're going to pray, but pray every day. You have to do it for yourself. <laughs> If, if for nobody else, now I know we do it for the Lord, but from the standpoint of what it does in you, you need that right now. Amen. <laughs> it's time. <laughs> Hallelujah. Well, um, well, at least the phone's working. That's a miracle. That's a family joke. All right. <laughs> Father, I thank you for your kindness to us, for your goodness to us. And I speak blessing over your work. I declare blessing over your work that you've entrusted to us and that you've entrusted to the saints. I ask you, Father, that you will provide for the people in this house I ask you, Lord, that you would strengthen them and give them everything they need. Some, Father, your spirit has brought up to some very uncomfortable doorways, but they don't need to be afraid of that doorway. They just need to go in and let God do what he's going to do. And, and it, they, these are days of promotion. These are days of advancement. These are days of preparation in ways that are beyond our understanding. But your spirit is doing some wonderful things. So I speak a blessing over what this house is supposed to be because that's my responsibility before you to ask you for that. And I thank you for it. And I speak a blessing over all of our family of saints, whether they're involved in saints' churches or prayer groups or if they're responsible for cities or for nations, or whether they have a, a continental responsibility, or, or whether they just are in the stillness of their own home before you, Father. We speak blessing from this house. Let us all be prepared, and we thank you for it, for we ask it in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. I don't even know what time it is, because that clock up there has been doing everything but with the Watusi. It said anything from 2.30 to 1.05. It just said 1.06, and then it went off. But it said that before I got up here. So...